0: Well, we are in this um, summer in the Scriptures series, and uh, and we introduced it last time, and we're calling it the story of God because that's what the Scriptures uh, are: this old and New Testament, this book, the Bible. It's the Um, story of God. And it's really, that's really the story of not only of God, but of God's redemption. That's why last week I talked about how our story is swept up into the big story. This isn't just a story of God, it's about how God is interacting and redeeming us. It's the story of God's redemption, our story and God's story. But in this story of God, we're going to be taking the the scriptures section by section, and we're going through for eight weeks, and we're also reading along, and we're going to talk about each section so that not only are we um, sort of hearing from God's Word, but we're able to see what's in this thing, what's in this story of God. And so we're, we are. We're talking about the Pentateuch this time, the, Pena, the Pentateuch, as Art said. Uh, is that how you pronounce it, Art? You know, uh, this You know what this is, some of you. It's the first five books of the Bible. That's what it is. That's what this the, um, the word means, actually. But here's where we're going to, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Here's, here's where I'm going to go today. And so if you can't, and we're going to go to the table by the end of our gathering, but if you can't kind of get much else from what I'm trying to tell you and remind you this morning, here's what it is. These first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, these first five books are about revealing that this is a God of covenant. This is a God of covenant. This is a covenant God and that word's important. A covenant God. And I don't mean a Marin covenant God. And now that leads you to say, what is the deal with the title of our church? Right? Have you asked that question? Have you gotten a satisfactory answer? Here's what it is. Ready? That when the covenant was born, first in Sweden and then in the United States, it was born in Sweden. That's why the pastors are all Italian. I don't, I don't understand that. It's, uh, when it was first born, it was a group of independent movements of people, spirit-filled movements of people who are studying God's word, praying, reaching out, sharing Jesus. And uh, they said, well, look at all these little churches that are meeting all over the place. Why don't we connect together? We'll be stronger for Jesus together than alone. So let's make a covenant to support each other in ministry. And so we became the evangelical covenant of churches, the evangelical covenant church. So it was churches that decided to bond together to strengthen one another and commit to one another and resource one another so the good news of Jesus can be known around the world. Isn't that a cool way to start a denomination? And isn't that better than the word denomination? We're a covenant. That's who we are. We're a covenant. So that's Marin Covenant. So now we've become Marin Covenant. And now you know, and now you can explain to people. Oh man, I was so much more excited about that than you are. <laughs> the Pentateuch is, means five-fold tool. It means five-fold tool because there are five books in the Pentateuch. It means five-fold tool or five-fold vessel. And it probably comes, the word probably comes from the fact that there was a five-book scroll, okay, back in the days of scrolls. So this is what it was. So these first five books were all together as a vessel or a tool or a scroll for God's people. It's also called the Torah, and you may have heard that. That's a Jewish term. And Torah means law, or probably better translation would be instruction. And it became the i mean it's sort of part of the 10 commandments and a few things or some it became known for the whole five books become called, became called the torah And then there's also, you know, some some revelation beyond that, that that different Jewish people, different Jewish times have called the Torah. But you've also heard it called the Torah. So you've got the Pentateuch or the Torah, but it's the first five books of the Bible. And here's where they are. You see them. They're Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I want you to grab your Bible, and I want you to open it up. And if you don't have a Bible uh, uh, or you have your electronic Bible, grab a Bible underneath the seat in front of you. And if you're in the front row, you're going to have to have somebody pass one to you if you need one. So here's the deal. Uh, I want you to open up to the very first book, Genesis 1, and I want you to, it's in the very first, you got all kinds of stuff at the beginning, like indexes and, and uh table of contents and descriptions, and then if you, you'll see the books pass by you there, and you can, and I want you to grab them all, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then you see Deuteronomy, the fifth book, you can see that goes all the way up to the book of Joshua. I want you to grab it. I want you to actually grab the pages. And I want you to look at it like that. I want you to do this for me. I want you to do this for me. And you want to point the Pentateuch at me. Just to grab that, all those books. You see it? You got a hold of them? That's the Pentateuch. And I want you to flip back through them like you're in a, like in the dentist, you know, at the waiting room at the dentist office. Okay, flip back through. Them. You see them now? Deuteronomy going backwards? Okay. Numbers. There's a book of Numbers, that's weird. Leviticus, Exodus, Genesis. Everybody see it, you got it? That's the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. You see my goal here? Some of you are like, I don't know what's in the Bible. I don't know what's in here and I'm afraid that I'm gonna be outed to not know. No. no, how would you know? Until Jeff makes you grab a hold of it and look in the table of contents. Here we go, this is the Pentateuch. Now here's the books, Sam, with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Say it like that because there's a rap we learned with our kids at camp, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There you go. That's it, those are the books. Now we don't have time to go through all the books, but you could, you, could, you could go through, if you had a little study Bible or your Wikipedia, you could go see which each one is. Genesis, of course, is the beginning of the story and the first few chapters are about creation. And it goes through the what we call the patriarchs who were the beginning of the Jewish people and the beginning of Jewish leaders and the beginning of the Jewish nation. You got people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, Mo, and, and well, Moses isn't there yet, but you got those guys that are leading up to, to Moses coming. Moses is in Exodus. Where is this in history? Well, creation, we don't know. We have no idea. That was a long time ago. Okay? There have been traditions, like a few hundred years ago, there were traditions in Christianity that said that, well, it was in 404 BC, or 601, I 6, mean, 4004 BC, or whatever. I, no, actually, the world's older than that. But we don't know how old, and we don't know how all that worked, and God made the world, but we don't know. Okay? Oh, tell us about what you believe about evolution. I don't know. The finch's beaks changed. All I know is it was a long time ago and God made it. Okay? Different conversation. Now, did you get the beak, finch's beak? All right, good. That's a study in biology. So, genetics. So, um, it's a long time ago. But Abraham was born around 2000. That's kind of where we are. In Exodus, it tells the story of them being enslaved in Egypt, and Moses leads them out into the, right? That was Moses' thing through the Red Sea. Moses was born about 1500. Then they went into the desert once they got over there, and they wandered around for 40 years in the desert. Does this sound familiar? These are even cultural stuff a lot of us know about this. They wandered from like 1440 B.C. till about 1400 B.C. That's where we are in the history of the world, okay? So this is what's going on. And then you get into Leviticus, and this is where you get stuck when you read through your Bible. You're like, oh, somebody put boring in here, and, I, and I'm lost. <laughs> no, we zoom out to 30,000 feet, or some of us got to get a little bit more perspective than that, and Leviticus is this story. It's a handbook for the, the worship leaders, for the Levites who ran the—for the, the priests and the Levites who, who ran the temple, and it spells out the propriety for worshiping a holy God, and it's beautiful when you zoom out a little bit, and you realize, oh, God is beautiful and holy, and how we worship him matters, and it's serious. That's Leviticus. And then Numbers, stories about them wandering around in the desert doing all kinds of stupid things, all kinds of weird stuff happening, miracles, the ground opening up, swallowing people who disobeyed God. Super scary. That's in there. That's them in in those 40 years. And then you get to Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is just a snapshot of time as they're right on the edge about to cross over into the promised land. And that snapshot is Moses and his heartfelt reaffirmation. Hey, people, this is who God is. This is what he's done. This is who you are. Let's be his people. That's what Deuteronomy is about. So there's a lot of heartfelt stuff in there. You got it? Let's say it one more time. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I like it. You did it. Everyone did it like the rap. That's so good. Well, that's what's in there. But what's the message of this part of the story? And it's this, friends, that over and over and over again, as I said, God talked about being in a covenant relationship with his creation. He's a God who wants to be in relationship. You see that with Noah. You see it with Abraham. You see it with Isaac. You see it with Jacob. You see it with Moses in Exodus. Here's a creator God, the great I Am. That's what he called himself. He just used the verb to be. be. They said, who are you? And he said, I am. This is the God. But the beauty in this story is it wasn't the God, period. Everybody cower in fear. He said, I am. But then the rest of the story goes on to say, and you are my people that I love. There's relationship all throughout this First five books of the Bible. That's what God's trying to say. From the beginning, He chose us, created us in love. Ephesians teaches this. It says, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. To be holy and blameless in His sight, in love, He predestined us to be sons and daughters through Jesus. From the beginning of the world, in love, God said, I'm gonna be in relationship with you. This is a covenant God. The Pentateuch says it in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Listen to this. It's beautiful right in the middle of Deuteronomy. You said, wow, I would have kept reading if I knew this was in there. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other people's. He's talking about the Israelites, about being his people. He goes, I didn't pick you because you were so amazing. You actually were the fewest of all these other people. But it was because the Lord loved you. And kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and hold to his commandments. This is a God who wants to be in relationship with us. And here's my attempt at summarizing what that means, that he's a covenant God. One, he's a covenant God. He initiates relationship God initiates it. Covenants made during this time in the ancient Near East, covenants made at this time were initiated by the one who held all the power. By the one who held all the power and didn't have to initiate a relationship. He could have just wiped out the people that he came upon in his land or in the neighboring lands that he wanted to take over. But instead he said there's some mutually beneficial reason for us to be engaged. Let's make a covenant together. And this is the picture of God being a covenant God who said, I do not need to be in a relationship with you because I am. But you are my people, and he chooses to be in a mutually beneficial relationship. The God creator of the heavens and the earth has chosen to be in a mutually beneficial relationship with you. What could that possibly benefit him? It's a love story, friends. He loves you and wants to be in a relationship where heart is shared, where choices are made, where freedom is experienced. This is the kind of God that we serve. This is the kind of God who initiates it. When you see Abram's, Abram who became Abraham, you see the covenant that God made with him in Genesis 17. Look at what it says. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. There's an initiation. The Lord appeared to him. By the way, do you hear in Megan's story sort of that, that covenant God who initiated a relationship? She was raised in a family that didn't believe, that didn't go to church, that didn't know any of those things, like many of us were. I was raised in that kind of a family as well. What are the odds? God initiated and appeared to her, first in the form of Annie, actually in the form of some friends in high school probably didn't turn you off, right? You're like, oh, I can live with this girl, Annie, and these other roommates. I've had some people that are Christians. They're not absolutely terrible. That's your job, by the way, to not be absolutely terrible. (laughs) there's a God of initiated. So Abraham, he appears, the Lord appeared to him, said, I'm the Lord God Almighty. I'm revealing myself to you. I'm going to be behind you. I'm going to be wooing you. I'm going to be pursuing you. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And then I will make my covenant between you and me, me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. Then Abram fell down. And then look at the initiation. God said, as for me, this is my covenant for you. As for me, God says, listen, here's my end of the deal. Here's my initiative. Here's my covenant. You're going to be the father of many nations. And it goes on to expand that notion about all the ways that God's going to show up in his side of the, co- of the covenant. God will take the initiative in relationship. He's a covenant God who initiates, and he still does today, and he is with you right now. God is initiating a relationship with you. God is wooing you. God may be behind you like he was in Megan's story, like, hey, if you turn around, it is on. He may be right there with you saying, stick with me, stay close to me. He may be far off, and you're like, I don't believe any of this. But even in that reality, There's a lot of the world running around not knowing that God is pursuing them, as Megan said. God's initiator. He loves you, and he's relentless in his pursuit of you. So I should just tell you, by the way, if your story is you're seeking this Jesus thing and trying to figure it out, go ahead and give up. God loves you so overwhelmingly that he will come and capture your heart. So he initiates. second part of that is then in a covenant, then we respond, and we respond with devotion. This is our part. God's part is, hey, this is going to be my covenant. I'm going to come, and you're going to be my people. I'm going to come, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to come, and he's going to talk about other things that he does, but as for for me, that's what I do. Us, we respond with devotion. This is our part of the covenant. Fully devoted, fully faithful, fully obedient, fully holy. Holy means set apart. Set apart for God's service. I'm all yours, God. My whole life is about you. I'm all in. I heard that in Megan's story as well. Like, man, I kind of knew that if, if this was true, then it was all or nothing. We're all in. That's how we respond with devotion. Okay, then I'm going to give you my life. If you're going to be a covenant God who's going to come and initiate a relationship with me, then the only response is, all right, then I'm, that's, here I am. You see that in the... Um, in the uh, Abraham's text as well, going on in, the, in the, the covenant conversation that God had with Abraham. Verse nine says this, then God said to Abram, as for you, remember God said, okay, as for me, here's my covenant. I'm gonna do this stuff for you. And now he goes, as for you, listen up. Because I am, and we're in relationship, so you gotta take your part of it serious as well. As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. They're like, okay, what's the covenant? What is it? He goes, this is my covenant. And they're like, okay, what is it? What's the covenant we're to keep? Verse ten: Every male among you must be circumcised. Wow. Oh, all right. And that will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. What is that about? God goes, listen, here's my covenant. I'm going to be a father. You're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to be, bless you, and you're going to be amazing, and you're going to be my people. And here's your part of it. Go get circumcised. What does that mean? He said, this is going to be a sign that you're mine. To all of the world, to the men on the battlefield, to the women that you love, to you getting dressed every day, this will be the sign that you'll never forget because it's a very intimate sign. You are mine. And I am yours. Wow. Your part, you keep your covenant. You respond to him. Look at the covenant that he made with Moses. I don't think I have a slide for this, but Exodus 19. It says this. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob. God's telling Moses, go, go tell the Israelites this. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. Tell them God's saying this. And how I carried you with eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me, here's, the, here's our part. Here's your part of the covenant, Israel, he says. Now if you obey me and f- fully keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world is mine, you're going to be a kingdom for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You're going to be set aside. You're going to be my special possession. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. Oh, we do have it. What did they say? We will do everything the Lord says. We'll do everything that God says. That's our part of the covenant. If God's going to be our God, then we will come and we'll, we'll do everything that the Lord says. We'll do everything. This is where the law comes from, friend. We go, well, there's law, all this law in the Old Testament. There's not that many laws in the Old Testament. You get stuck in Leviticus, it's not law. That's people being taught how to, to worship God carefully and appropriately. There's law in Exodus, we've got the Ten Commandments, and then you got a bunch of rules that are in there in Exodus, and it's fascinating when you read it, but it's actually a small part of Exodus, There's a lot of other stuff in Exodus. There's not a ton of law, but the law, the point of the law was to say, hey, you have to live for me, and here's how you do it, be all in. And our response then is to say, God, if you love me, and you're the great I am, I will do everything the Lord has said. Do you hear the all in? He, res- he initiates and we respond with devotion. And he still we still do today. This is the call. This is our life purpose. What is your sign? What is your circumcision? What is your outward sign of devotion and worship and service and exclusivity like I'm all God's? I love Jeff's chair, because that's a sign. That's his testimony. Every day before my two bonehead boys and my wife, who I can't believe is still with me, I am going to go sit in that chair and submit myself to Jesus. There's power in that symbol, and he does it every day. And now he's doing it for like 45 minutes a day, trying to read through our reading program. You know what that's about? Circumcision is never about circumcision. Circumcision is about between me and you, God, it's clear. I am yours, all in. I will do everything you say. I serve you. And do we have that in our life? Is that who we are as God's people? So this covenant relationship isn't about, oh, that's sweet, great. It's about, and now, God, you take my life. Wow. He initiates, we respond with devotion. And third, he's faithful. He's faithful then. Oh my gosh, I wish we had time to to read all of the scriptures in this Pentateuch of, of God's faithfulness. He's going to be faithful to fulfill his promises. He brings life and protection and blessing and his friendship and peace and leading, and presence, and power within us. These are the things that God promises life at its fullest, and he is faithful as a covenant God to bring that to us. He's not a God way off up somewhere. You know, the the dumb joke, I mentioned it last week, the dumb joke of, you know, the big man upstairs. If you ever use that phrase, the big man upstairs, don't do that. That is, that is most offensive. You could do, you can make jokes about church, and Christians, and please, easy. You can make jokes, But when you say the man upstairs, like he doesn't care. Like he's distant, like he's not involved. He is a God who is initiated and we respond with devotion and he is then faithful to bring life. It's real. He comes and he brings what he has promised to bring. And you see that in the covenants in the Old Testament. He talks about coming and making us fruitful and blessing the generations and protecting, et cetera. I got to show you one of these, and then I got to wrap up. I got to show you one of these from Leviticus 26, because really, it's because you missed it. I know you missed it. Leviticus 26. If you follow my decrees and carefully obey my commands, God says, I will send rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. You, you understand this is more about, than about agriculture. This is about what we dream in the deepest places that life is about. Refreshment and provision and blessing and peace and rest and beauty. You hear this, church? The ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest all the way up. You'll have, and the grape harvest will continue until planting. You're going to eat all the food you want. You're going to live in safety in your land. I'm going to grant peace in the land. You'll lie down, and no one will make you afraid to close your eyes. I will remove wild beasts from the land. The sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they'll fall before you. Five of you will chase a hundred. A hundred of you will chase 10,000, and your enemies will simply fall before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you you will still be eating last year's harvest when you have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you. I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. He is faithful, and friends, he is still faithful covenant God to us today, worthy of you trusting him with your life and your obedience, and your service. As we said last week, his arms are not too short to save you, and to rescue you, and to lead you and give you life, as he calls you to. So he's faithful. And let me add this, not as an afterthought, but as a transition toward the the table. In fact, band, you can come up, and we're going to worship and end with the Lord's table. He's faithful, even when we fail and we will fail. It's all the way through the Pentateuch, that this is a covenant God who wants relationship with us, but all the way through, it says, oh, and by the way, you're part of the covenant, you will fail, all the time. In fact, when you read the Pentateuch, you get to, oh, I don't know, the second chapter, and the message is clear. This is a God who loves us, who initiates a relationship. You come be his followers, oh, and you're gonna fail miserably. And even when we fail, and this is the message, this covenant God makes a way. He makes a way. He comes and actually carries the burden for our part of the covenant relationship where we can't succeed. He actually comes and provides for us. This is the story of sacrifice and sacrifices you read about in the Scriptures because it's symbolic that God will, on our behalf... Take care of it, make away, rescue, save, redeem. Those are all words that are right out of the Pentateuch. And it turns out that the law that which we, you know we all think, oh, it's Jewish people, we're all legalistic and we're supposed to be legalistic. Follow the law. Now the law, friends, apparently, the law, it turns out, was, yeah, to teach us it matters how you live. You don't get to just do whatever you want. You're in a relationship with the God who made you. But secondly, it's to convince us that we need saving on our part. Of the covenant, we need saving, we need rescuing. Paul summed it up this way when he talked to the Galatians. He said, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith in him. In Romans, he said, Christ is at the end of the law so that there might be salvation for everyone who believes. Jesus is waiting as the final part of the picture of this covenant where he shoulders the burden for our part where we can't be pleasing to God in our perfection. Jesus is the salvation. Jesus is the rescue. Jesus is the sacrifice that was needed. You see sacrifice all over in the Old Testament. In the story of Abraham, where he was told to sacrifice his son Isaac, and so he was willing to do it. And Isaac said to him, Papa, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And you remember what he said? He said, Son, the Lord's gonna provide the lamb. The Lord will provide. The Lord will make a way. And then when he was ready to sacrifice his son and God stopped him, Abraham looked up and saw a ram stuck with his horns in the thicket, as it were. He went over, took the ram sacrifice as a burnt offering instead of his son, and Abraham called that place what? The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. On that mountain, the Lord provided, it still says. See, God makes a way. We see it in the Passover with Moses. The blood that covered protected the Israelites. The blood symbolized another sacrificed so that judgment wouldn't have to fall on us. And the whole story is summed up in the end with Jesus. When John the Baptist saw Jesus and saw all of it coming together, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is the covenant God who initiates and we respond with devotion and he's faithful. Even when we fail, he makes a way and the whole Pentateuch is leading to Jesus who is the solution.